This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Arjuna Ishaya's work is a guide for the human condition. It is a practical, real, and honest roadmap for anyone who wants to experience life to its fullest, at 200%. 200% of life is the experience of everything. It is the whole of life, 100% inner connection, peace and stability, and 100% outer enjoyment, effectiveness, and fulfillment. Success without contentment and peace is half a life. Being Zen without action or the good things of life is only half the picture. You can have both. You deserve both. You deserve to live 200% of life. Valeria Tellez interviews Arjuna Ishaya, the author of 200%, an instruction manual for living fully. Originally an outdoor instructor from New Zealand, Arjuna Ishaya has been a monk and spiritual teacher since 2003. Arjuna's aim is to make meditation and mindfulness accessible for real people, not only as a tool for spiritual enlightenment, but to make peace practical, to enhance people's ability to get what they want from life while having the most fun possible. He is currently working with the British Military Bomb Disposal Regiment at London's Metropolitan Police. Arjuna lives in Richmond, North Yorkshire, UK, with his beautiful family. Meet Arjuna at arjunaishaya.com. Here is the interview with Arjuna Ishaya. In your own words, who is Arjuna Ishaya? <laughs> <laughs> Great question. Um, I'm a monk. I'm uh, a dad, a husband. Um, I, I love the outdoors. I love good food. I love, I'm a lover of life. <laughs> I'm a lover of life. That is a powerful statement to say. When we think about everything that composes life, that life is about really. So when you say that, it means that you embrace everything within life, the good, the bad, all the opposites. <laughs> well, it's, it's the reason I became a monk because I realized how good life could be, but also how, how bad it could be. <laughs> and I really wanted to find, I knew, I, I came to realize the spiritual dimension, the inner journey was the, I thought was the key to making it, um, full of positivity and love and, and praise and excitement rather than 
negativity and doubt and fear and um, anger. So, yeah, yeah. So I guess the question that comes to mind, which is one of my questions that I often ask, is the purpose of the human experience. What do you think it is? <laughs> <laughs> the first thing is, is to love, is, is really to remember to not take anything seriously. To, I mean, I, my son is seven months old and I was just talking to my wife how, how happy he is. He, you know, if he's hungry or if he's got a dirty nappy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, but the rest of the time he just laughs and laughs and laughs. And, and sure, you may say he's got no responsibilities, but he, he is just so in love with life. And... Um, you walk in the room and he just lights up. It's like, he, hey, there you are. <laughs> and, I, and I think that's the purpose is to remember that kind of joy, that kind of innocence, that kind of life, the life force, the, the, the love. Um, so, I'm wondering how we forget that what <laughs> happens to us. <laughs> yeah. Well, my daughter is three and a half years and, yeah. <laughs> and already beginning to to forget and you know she does stuff um she lashes out she you know i don't know if you've got kids but but no, small I children don't. I don't. Don't. um we we try and uh educate <laughs> condition her so she's fit for the human race yet leave enough freedom and so that she can make her own way and and but but inevitably when you try and 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 shape someone they're going to believe that they they are doing something wrong or perhaps they are wrong something wrong with them that uh mom dad dad's unhappy with me because I, I did something wrong and you know that that just shows up more and more and we believe that we are wrong so so how do we balance that i how do we try to teach without judgment, I guess? Well, I, I, that's probably it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you guide, well, I, I guess that's my approach is, and my wife is we just guide, we guide without with as, as little judgment as we can as, and as much love as we can, as much making it a learning opportunity. And, you know, she's only three and a half, so <laughs> it's, uh, and we're learning too. This is, this is um, this is new territory for us. No matter how many books or useful videos you can read, it, it, where the rubber hits the road, the practicality is. There's always going to be a, a moment by moment um, discovery. So, yeah, there's no manual, right? <laughs> and parenthood, so true. What is happiness to you? Uh, peace, freedom, um, not not needing anything, being open to everything, um, the lack of judgment. Would you say this lack of judgment is a moment of understanding or a practice for life? Oh, both, both. Yeah, I I think, but I, I think when you get present, I think when you get filled with your own presence and being, that naturally is a lack of judgment. And if anything, the presence of judgment, for me at least, is a signal that I have forgotten. And um, 
I need to return to presence and being and, and possibly do or say something. But, uh, yeah, you, you, we're, we're free of those limiting judgments when, when we're fully present, when we're fully connected with, with who we truly are. So it's an easy fix. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. I wish it was really for most of us. <laughs> I have a few more warm-up questions before I ask you questions related to your book, specifically 200% and instruction manual for living fully. So my next question is about what's happening in the world these days, um, what has been happening this year, a lot of change. So my question is, at this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? Probably love and trust, you know, in, in terms of COVID, in terms of the virus, there's so many people terrified about what will happen. And, and, and I don't think in, in any of our lives we ever dreamed that things could be so uncertain. We could reliably, reliably predict that X, Y, and Z was going to happen next week, and, and we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. And, and, and that's throwing people for, for a tailspin. Um, and I think it just shows, at least for me, it reminds me of how important it is to be present and take the, the step that's in front of you and not, to get, not get too far ahead of yourself. Um, but also that keeping the trust and the faith and the hope that you look after now and the future will, will turn out okay. Um, we're so used to being so far in the future that, that it's, um, it's frightening. And uh, I think the solution, as I said, is, is to return, to, to really focus on what you can do, on what you do know, on what is uh, real and solid and pretty much right in front of you. So there's the, the sort of the hope and the trust aspect of things. Um, I think people are getting more and more tribal, more and more divided. And I think the best thing that any individual could do is, is seek greater understanding. I think people just want to be understood and they get really upset when they're misunderstood. And if we could just take, a, take some time, take some empathy, take, take some compassion and, and try and get to to hear each other, that tribality and that us versus them and, you know, all the stuff that you, you see and, um, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, wouldn't nearly have so much of an effect because there's bunches of people listening, not, not to talk, but listening to understand, as they say. Yeah. So true. I'm wondering if this um, understanding that you speak of and the trust to and the love they can start within, and this might be the only place really to find any kind of solution. Yeah, I think so. Well, well, you know, the author, um, uh, Puello Coelho, yeah. <laughs> yeah, did yeah. I pronounce that all right? <laughs> yes, your way, Maybe. yeah. <laughs> um, but his, his quote that I, I, I keep seeing lately is, is, the world is not changed by your opinion, it's a changed by your example. And that, that whole Gandhi idea of being mm. the change you wish to see of the world. If we want an enlightened world, we need enlightened individuals. And, and so it must, it must start with our own hearts. You know, if we're pointing the finger at everybody else saying, well, 
you should be more understanding and we're not ourselves. <laughs> that's, that's incredibly hypocritical and, and nobody will listen to that. But uh, Maya Angelou, people f- will forget what, what you said. They'll forget what you did, but they will never forget the way that you made them feel. And and so, yes, yes, it, 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 you're 100%. You're, it's us. <laughs> yeah, it starts here, Maya Jonah. And, and, you know, there's so many people just saying, well, I'm just one person. What can I do? But if you think about our, our heroes, the people that have affected us and inspired us and, and, and made us want to be better and, and um, live to a higher standard, they, they were just one person. And, and so maybe we're standing on the shoulders of giants in that sense, but we are, we are enough. What is enlightenment to you? Mm. Well, just remembering who one truly is, um, freeing themselves from the ignorance of, of what they're not. So remembering, remembering that, that the essence of who we are beyond the body. We've all, we've all had, I'm sure we've all had that experience where we've looked in the mirror and we haven't felt any different. And yet we look in the mirror and go, mm. ooh. <laughs> It's my body's changing, my face, my hair's falling out, or, or what have you. And the body changes, and yet there's a sense of, of who we are beyond the body that doesn't change. Um, even in the busiest mind, if if someone was curious enough to just, just to simply watch, they would realize that they have thoughts, but these thoughts come and go. They may be the same thing day in, day out, and yet they are like the weather. There is something, there is a context, there is a, a presence or an awareness that is aware of thinking. And, and if you can even just take that time to step back, just a half step back, um, you will realize that, yes, you have a mind, but if you can see it, then you are not it. And, and so you begin a journey of, well, if I'm not the thoughts, if I'm not my emotions, because they come and go to, if I'm not my body, who am I? And, and really, I think enlightenment begins there is pointing the finger back at your own heart and, and coming to realize that that true, uh, stable, um, eternal part of you that, that has never changed, that will never go anywhere. So it's, it's the living of that, the realization and the living from that. Do you think it's actually a realistic journey or goal, achievement for most of us who are not monks and priests? I, I would say it would depend on how interested you are in it and how much you actually prioritize it. Um, now, I'm a monk, but I'm also, you know, I also have a family and I'm, um, I, I organize meditation courses and I love writing. And, and so I'm not isolated somewhere. Um, I, I'm probably busier now than, than when I was, um, I used to be an outdoor um, teacher, an outdoor educator. And I'm probably busier now as a monk, having taken vows than, than ever before. But, but the, the foundation, my priority of life is peace, is presence. And, and so I, the first and the last thing And the underlying thing always will be uh, my choice for who I truly am. So to me, it really is just a, a commitment and, and walking that talk in terms of 
prioritizing your peace. And I think anyone can do that. And, and monks perhaps have, have taken vows. So there's something powerful when we take a, a public promise or a public um, uh, declaration of our intent to live up to something bigger and better than us. But uh, that's available to anyone. Um, if that's what I love about it. It's, it's not, and that's why I, I hope I don't call my book 200% really was because we, we split the, we split the spirit away from the world. You know, if you, and we're basically told to choose, what do you want? Do you want, do you want to achieve and you want goals and you want a family and you want to experience everything in the world? Or do you want to go the other way and live in a cave and, and be a monk and discover the, the world of spirit and enlightenment? And, it, it's a it's an unnecessary split. I say. I, I think you will learn more about yourself out here in the world than you will in any cave. Um, and and equally, you you can't live without a foundation of spirit and being. It it doesn't. People suffer quickly. You know they. You see it all around us. Um, if I call it the donut life, so, you know, <laughs> even the, the sparkliest, beautiful. You know the Krispy Kreme. These incredible decorations and colors and sparkles and yet and yet there's so many people empty in the middle looking for something to fill fill their hole so so yeah it, it's, it's peace and being and presence i think has got to be first and foremost for anyone um no matter how far down the rabbit hole you want to go and i love the word you use commitment so that's what it takes really for most of us to get there and I love the way you also say that it's not necessary to live in isolation, to go away from everything, not having a family, just we can do, we can commit to that here and now exactly where we are. And I believe that too. Yeah. And, and you, you probably know, you probably believe this, that your path is your path. And if you embrace it fully, then everything happens for you, um, not to you. But everything's happening so we can remember, so we can wake up. And sometimes when we're suffering, that can be the biggest uh, invitation not to suffer anymore, to really wake ourselves up and go, hang on, what am I doing that's creating this? What, are, what have I forgotten? And, and so even when, when we find ourselves in a deep, dark hole, it can be a very powerful um, chance. It's happening for us. It can be a powerful chance for us to be better, more, um, more awake. So, yeah. How did you become a writer, Ashona? Well, oh, well, back in university, I, I studied a master's degree, and um, it was in history and sociology. I was really interested in people, and um, and I and I chose the, the topic of the history of snowboarding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fun! <laughs> yeah, I was doing a lot of snowboarding, and I was really enjoying it. And and I thought, well someone's going to give me a research grant and I can write about this and it's something I love and, you know, it'll be fun. But um, I fell in love with just writing and the act of, of putting ideas, making them concrete into words. So I've, I've just kept, kept going since then. Did you set an intention when you wrote the book 200% an instruction manual for living fully? Uh, well, I guess so. I wanted it to be the best thing that I've written so far. <laughs> but mainly the intention was more around just 
um, sitting down and, and, and writing. Um, I could find so many other urgent things to do. <laughs> and, and really the intention was like, oh, hang on, no, this is, this is not happening. I'm delaying and procrastinating and not getting around to it. If it's truly important, I've got to sit down and do it first. And so after my meditation, <laughs> I, <laughs> right. I, and, and way before I check my emails, because I'd get lost down that little rabbit hole, I would, I really had the, not the intention, but again, the commitment, I guess, to just, just to sit and write. And, and that's when I made that commitment, that's when it really started to gather some momentum. So, yeah. Talk to me for a moment about meditation. Well, it's, it's the practice of, of, of discovery. Um, the Tibetans, they, they, I, I've been told their word for meditation or one of them is familiarization. So it's the act of becoming familiar, um, I guess, first of all, with the different voices and the different characters and personalities in your own head, um, the cheerleaders and the, the, um, the self-violent one, the naysayers, the parents, the teachers, the, the whole host of people that we have. So becoming really familiar with those voices and realizing that they're not us. And then ultimately that, becoming familiar with who we truly are, with the, that sense of awareness or presence, the presence of now that is, um, is watching, that contains all those little voices. So it's, it's, it's that practice of, of, uh, of, of becoming <laughs> enlightened, <laughs> of, of gaining inner peace, detachment, um, calm, um, courage too. Because uh, we all, people, people think, well, meditation is about peace. The spiritual path is about peace. But that the Alcoholics Anonymous have a prayer. Um, give me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, which is people's stereotypical view of meditation. But the second line, give me the courage to change the things that I can. I think uh, meditation shows you that. It shows you where you're compromising and, and, and kind of pokes you a little bit and says, don't do that. Um, and, it, and then the last line, um, the wisdom to know the difference. It, it really shows you that the source of wisdom is not Google. It's not the experts outside of you. It's the source of all wisdom is within. Right. And uh, a good meditation practice will allow you to align with that and, and just to know what to do in any given moment. In your book, you wrote exactly that. The best advice that I ever received was to look within and learn what was inside of my own heart. So that says a lot. And you also speak about the two games of life, the inner and the outer. Talk to me about these two worlds, in a sense. Yeah, well, we started talking about it. It's really the outer world, the the world of taking care of responsibilities, um, get, doing the things that you love, having cool stuff, going on great holidays. It's the it's the experiential material world. It's it's the world of of life. Um, and but the inner world is is the it's the your relationship with your mind. It's the relationship with doubt. It's the relationship with your frustrations and your resistances and um, your negativity and, and, and all of those things. Mm -hmm. 
And, and all of, the, <laughs> of those, the most important world is the inner world because the whole universe is, is subjective. And what I mean by that is it depends on what we believe is what we see. We don't see the world as, we, as it is. We see the world as we are. Um, when we've fallen in love, the world is completely different from when we've just been broken up in a relationship <laughs> or, or we've had some bad news. The, you know, the whole world changes. And so it's our perception that makes the world. And the, the inner journey to go beyond perception and, and view it with innocence, to interact openly and fresh and with full presence without an expectation or an insistence or a demand just to meet the moment or the person or the circumstance freshly is you go beyond all those filters and beliefs and limitations. You you sidestep that subjectivity and and start to have a true communion with, with what is. Um, And so for me, the, seeing how that dance with inside of us, how it creates our version of reality. That's, that's the whole thing. Um, but equally the outer world is not, like I was saying, it's not to be denied. There's a lot of joy and excitement and adventure and learning and, um, good things out there. It's, it's, there's nothing sinful in the world. <laughs> and, and perhaps the only, it's our limitation and our negativity and our, our bad habits that create um, addiction and um, control and um, power issues and ego and all those sorts of things. So the inner journey, the inner game is the important one, I would say. It's a, a very interesting experience. From my perspective, wonderful <laughs> and amazing. Yeah. Well, have you heard that saying that ego is the enemy? Mm, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, yeah, and and, and we we get on the spiritual path, and we we set up this uh, conflict between, you know, this higher self and the ego. And we sometimes we feel we must destroy this enemy within, and and do you know what? The only thing that wants anything to be just destroyed is the ego. The wide open, innocent, loving part of us has no interest in in destroying anything. And so a playful relationship with even with your fear and your doubt and your frustration is, is such a powerful thing because it, you, you don't give it any power. It becomes, as you say, a game. Can I, can I win this time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, right. In, in a playful sense, not the conquering sense. Right, but, right. Um, <laughs> it really, you bring away your, your spiritual sword and really coming to from a place of understanding back to that but you're not uh you're not you're not fight you don't need to fight a single thing so in your book you also talk about the idea that we look and wait for peace and happiness when da 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 when something happens in the future somewhere talk to me about how we can learn to let go of these ideas well i think it's uh and again I, I will be happy when, it, and we are, when we get that new car or that promotion or we win that gold medal or we, or we lose that weight, it's, it's wonderful. It does make us happy. But what I would say to anyone is, is just realize what you are in control of because we're not in control of so much. 
And if our happiness depends on something external or something in the future, then we're always waiting. We're always out of control. So it's really realizing that, hmm, can I choose to be happy no matter what? Can I, and, and this is a skill like all things, but can I be content? Can I be, can I let now be enough? And when you realize that you can actually, I can give, I can slow down, I can give space to now, I can, I don't have to insist anything in particular happens, then that is what I am control of. That it's, it's not about the circumstances or the people or the what's happening out there in the world, but my I can control my reaction to it. Um, and, you know, psychologists will tell us the biggest cause of stress is feeling like we're out of control. And so when when you think I need everything to be lined up and perfect and, and such and such, and then I will feel content, at peace, fulfilled, it, it, at best it comes and goes. So it's really claiming um, the power of choice to choose to be happy regardless of what's happening outside of you. And if, and if it's good, it's a bonus. And if it's not, you get the clarity, really, because you you don't need it to be different, right? We we need the world to be different because then I will be happy. We need our, my wife to be different because <laughs> then she'll make me happy, right? <laughs> True. And so if you don't need anyone, if you're not attached to anyone or anything making you happy or fulfilled, oh, I mean, how freeing is that on my wife when I'm not psychically burdening her with the <laughs> the weight of my own happiness? I'm happy just because, and 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 I know I can choose for that no matter what. And so, what a what a powerful thing, what a powerful skill to to prioritize learning. And this brings us to the topic of choice. In your book, you say, I think it's the title of one of the chapters, uh, your life is your choice. So, and that also brings me to a fundamental question. Do you think that being here in a human body was one of our choices? Uh, <laughs> you, you got me there, but I, I guess so. I, I really don't know. Um, I couldn't tell you from from experience or from from anything but you know i have heard spiritual teachers say yes we've all chosen to do this but uh yeah i don't know i mean the the other option which i don't like is that this is this is forced upon us <laughs> but even if it was i i want to make the most of it you know and we have that that power to choose to make the most of what cards we've been dealt so Another thing interesting in your book that you speak about is the misconceptions and limiting beliefs, such as, there are so many, but I picked three of them, <laughs> to be a perfectionist. This is something that has to do with control, but something that we learn at early age. So talk to me about this idea of being perfect. Yeah, well... You don't have to go far on social media to, to to be shown so many different images of what um, we could consider is successful or perfect. 
and it's it's a tough thing to live up to because you you constantly believe that I am not enough yeah. and and it it gets serious I mean the reason I put that one in there was because I saw that so clearly in writing the book was that perfection perfectionism was really a, a means of protecting myself the book was not ready yet I'm not done yet and, and what really I was saying was I'm, I'm too scared to let anybody read it in case they hate it <laughs> right. Right. And, wow. and so I if for me that was the slant on perfectionism but I think um, women in particular are very have very 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 high expectations of themselves you know, not only should they look a certain way, that they should be able to have 20 kids and keep a beautiful home and have food on the table as soon as the husband comes in and, and you know, having wild lovemaking every night. And, um, you know, the, just this whole be the best friend ever and never get grumpy, never get PMS, never da da da, da all these all these impossible um, expectations and we and we see when we kind of hold that kind of filter we see it everywhere and we see it on tv and we see it on social media and we see it uh, at the people at the school gates or the at the sports club and uh, it becomes becomes a real drain on 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 who who you are because you're trying to be someone you're not you're not you're not accepting of of what might be happening for you and and I know that's the greatest thing, greatest agent for change is not, well, not perfectionism, but uh, acceptance. If you can accept yourself fully, then you give yourself the space and the love to, to grow in, in the way that you, you know, I don't want to use the word need, but the way you were supposed to. Right. You also mentioned the, uh, this is kind of funny, but it's so true take life very, very seriously. <laughs> yeah. Talk to me for a moment about that, Arjuna. Well, I think, I think uh, people often will, will be so focused on what they want to get from life that they forget to stop and smell the roses along the way. They forget to smile at the people around them. They, you know, actually I was writing about this the other day that there's so many people who are considered the best in their field, but perhaps a, uh, in all other aspects, their lives are a mess. You know, their relationships are in pieces. They, their health is suffering. Um, you know, they're, they're not, or they might not be a very nice person to be around. They might be a world record holder, but they are so focused on that thing, they think they have to trample everybody else and, and just human decency to get it. <laughs> um, and that kind of seriousness doesn't help and I mean what does help is being able to laugh at yourself and and laugh at your pompousness and 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 your mistakes and and all of that because otherwise well if you're not laughing you're crying <laughs> anyway, so yeah I, I just think it's a really important skill to and the other thing is all the enlightened people that I've ever met they've all just laughed their asses off at everything there is nothing worth getting serious about nothing under the sun so 
And another thing is that word just recently I heard from somebody, enlightenment. It's just bringing lightness to our lives, just being light. <laughs> that kind of connects with this idea of not taking things seriously. That's how I interpret it. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. What can we do to change at least this belief? What does it take to change it? <laughs> uh, well, it's, it's actually a big decision to realize to, well, to take responsibility for everything. Because in so many cases, you're right, it, it isn't fair. You know, why did my neighbor get that break and I didn't? Why did that happen to the guy at work and it didn't happen to me? Why, why is she so hard on me but not on them? And life isn't fair, but taking responsibility really means, you know what, because you end up being a victim. You end up going, well, I would if I could, but I can't. And, and so when you say, okay, <laughs> I'm going to just assume that I have chosen all of this and it's not happening to me. It's not an attack. It's not to beat me down. It's happening for me. That, that kind of attitude, even if you don't understand why, it gives you such a powerful platform to, well, first of all, for peace, peace of mind. Okay, I chose it so I can deal with it. And second of all, giving you the courage to to do those things that you can. And, and often that's just taking your awareness off what's wrong and unfair and unjust and not, not ignoring those things, but making the foundation of your life what you do have, what is right, what is beautiful, what is what you can be grateful for. It's so easy to focus on what's wrong, what's missing, what's lacking, and what you focus on grows. Now, when people hear this, they think, well, he's just putting his head in the sand. He's just a monk. He's living in a cave, da, da, da. But I'm saying, no, it doesn't help anyone if you're miserable. And psychologists have done this again. If they, they kind of make people miserable and depressed, then their energy, their decision-making capability, their love for life, all of these things just go down the drain. Yeah. You make people happy by perhaps showing them a comedy. All of a sudden, that lightness means that they can see, they can come up with creative solutions filled with understanding and empathy and a win-win situation for everybody. Um, so it's, it's really making the foundation of your life being what is, what is good rather than what's negative and wrong because that's what you become. So it's, it's taking responsibility for the contents of your own consciousness, for the choices of, that you make from that. It sounds simple, but it's not easy for most of us. So for most of us who have been through traumas and now we are conditioned and we have lots of, um, let's say, mental patterns, that becomes much more challenging to see with clarity and to make these choices. So do you recommend uh, meditation as one powerful healing method? I would, yeah, I do. I do. I think, I think and, and talking, talking it through with an expert or um, someone who can hold you in your perfection is, is so valuable too. It's, it's just kind of talk it through. Um, I think the world is full of amazing, amazing technologies in terms of healing and equilibrium and, and, and balance. But I think when you come 
when you start to become more familiar with who you truly are, you can disconnect from those intense emotions and those in, intense relivings and those intense judgments or um, about the other person or, or yourself. It, it, it starts to create space in your in your system. So I think it, you know, in many cases, it's absolutely a great idea. Um, I, I'm thinking maybe in a few cases it's not, but but perhaps bringing it back to some simple mindfulness where you focus on the breath and, and just become more embodied in this moment in time is, is can be incredibly anchoring and valuable um, too. So, but, uh, but just, just knowing that, you know, we've never done anything wrong. We judge ourselves so harshly for all the mistakes that we've made or the mistakes that have done to us. And, and, coming to a place of acceptance and and understanding and love and and just well i'm just i don't know why but i just assume it's happening for me and maybe the only reason it happened to us was because so that we could help somebody else through that experience you know because if you've lived through it you can you're wise you come out the other side, you can help so many people and they believe you because you're talking from your heart, not from book knowledge, but from, hey, yeah, I know. And and, and look, I, and maybe that's the reason why it happens for you. But I think often too, yeah, no, I won't get into that. But I think it, it's just such a, a valuable assumption to make is that, well, it's happening for me. I, I don't know why and I don't particularly like it, but I'm going to assume that it's for my very best soul interest at, at, um, at the deepest level. It's all about that commitment we spoke earlier. And probably the word innocence as well, just to approach yourself with innocence and freshness and, and let, let yourself heal without the judgment that, well, I should be over this by now or I shouldn't be worried about, you know, all the things that go on our heads, just the innocence to go, huh. Well, that's interesting. It's obvious there's some healing taking place, and and in that innocence to to do what you need to do. Um, yeah, we're almost at the end, but I have I need to mention this in your book. You talk about eight choices for living fully. So you have all of them outlined. The first one is to own it, then to respond, to accept, to appreciate, to give, to be here now, to be bold. And then the eighth is to be zero. This is the most interesting one to me. <laughs> and then you also write, which you put all this together, a choice for peace to own a conscious, accepting, appreciative, bold, loving, and present life is all contained within one choice to be zero. So what is to be zero, Jonah? Well, it's, it's, it's innocence. It's to approach every moment fresh and empty, to really be empty of any ideas or preconceptions or instruction manuals or anything. Just meet, meet the moment fresh, open, um, curious, with, with, a, with the intention to be fully involved in it. And because then we don't have... The idea, well, I need to be this way. I don't, you don't have, well, I, this should be happening. There's no, 
there's no rigidity. It's just a playful communion with, with what is, straight in. No spiritual notions going, well, a spiritual person wouldn't be like that. It'd just be like, well, this is what's coming through me. And I think that's what zero is and what Gandhi was meaning by his quote. You know, if you, he, he said it a few times, and I can't remember which one I, I put in the book. But, um, you know, if you, want to, if you want to know truth, if you want to know the divine or God, you, you must become zero. You must empty yourself. And that's, that's the, the reset to your original nature to who you truly are and, and, and letting that guide you rather than mm. your past. And you see, for most people, that really sounds like unachievable. With too much work, I can't lose my identity, I know who I am. <laughs> and they, they attached so many ideas and concepts and mental constructs. So I'm wondering, and I'm trying to, through these conversations, to make this more accessible to everyone. So we can do this. It is possible. Yeah. The, yeah. The, and I, I would say the only thing you have to give up or will be willing to give up is, is limitation, fear, doubt, separation. You know, and, and what's left is a bigger, brighter, more loving, more innocent, more courageous version of you, which uh, th that's what the world needs. That's what you need. And that's what the world needs. <laughs> It's people who are really come alive. Yeah. I just wanted to really kind of go back over and over and over about this idea. I know it is an idea that this is simple to get to the point, what you call zero, to live from a space that is so light. And really just to, to hark back to something you said, not trying to get there, not trying to get to the end, but just trying to get here. To be here, because when you when you enter here innocently, you unlearn everything. You put down all your bags because you're just so curious, interested in this, and and you don't care about the future or the the top of the mountain. You don't want to climb something or become something. You just want to be here. That's what becomes the love affair. You know, when you're dancing to a beautiful piece of music, you you don't want it to end. You don't want to fast forward to get to the end of the piece you, you're just interested in the next step and 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 noticing what the partner or the music does to you when you get to the end it's the end <laughs> do, do you know yeah and so yeah. the rush to get there mm -hmm. wherever there may be which will always be wrong because it's based on your ideas from the past you're simply content Again, to let now be enough, to let now be everything, to let now be the finish line. <laughs> and, and, but not even in the sense of a finish, but a, a continuing dance of becoming and exp exploration and, and, and all of the good stuff. Thank you so much, Arjuna, for your, <laughs> for your message and your mission. That's what we want to see more out there. Well, you're doing an incredible job, Valeria. So thank you for what you do. Thank you. I have a few more questions for you, but before I ask them, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? I do. Yeah, it's just a quote that, you know, the first time, well, I'll, I'll read it. <clears throat> uh, when you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life so that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. I, I, my friend has that, 
halved in his in his in her boy's bed, just on the side side of his bunk bed. And I, I thought, what a wonderful thing to guide a young man or a young woman, just or anyone, just to to live such a life that you go out with such a full heart and everybody else misses you. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself and life itself? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm nowhere near as right as I think or as I'd like to be. <laughs> oh, tell me about it. Yeah, or just the humility to, 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 be, to be teachable. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change to your life or do anything differently? I wouldn't. I mean, I would. I would make sure I ate the the quality chocolate that I've got in my cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would sit down and and have a piece each one of them, not not eke it out from a couple more weeks. But no, that was. <laughs> I heard that before. Somebody said that that was an interesting ending <laughs> to end life eating chocolates. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> And my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of now? Uh, it's, it's good. It is, it is beautiful. And it, if you listen, it will show you how to remember that. That was three in one. Yeah. <laughs> Powerfully. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much, Arjuna, for your presence for sharing your wisdom and for your mission and message thank you thank you i do have one more question where can we find more information about you your books products services and future projects uh-huh. well the book if if you're interested in it, it's on amazon around the world 200 an instruction manual for living fully and my Uh, website is arjunaishaya.com, which is A-R-J-U-N-A-I-S-H-A-Y-A.com, arjunaishaya.com. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Arjuna Ishaya and his work, please visit arjunaishaya.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.